You remind me of me. I'm a mess when I get up here. All kinds of paper and <clears throat> notes, and then I can't find the notes to... <clears throat> I wonder if you want to say thank you to Mark Jonah by giving him a hand and his team. <clears throat> I hope you know how much I'm grateful for you. You are a good guy. Despite, you know, what everybody says. <laughs> I, had my own check, I had my own checklist of things that I'd want to be sure, and Kendi checked off most of them. But I do want to invite you briefly to come with us to Israel next year. May, you need to be in Tel Aviv. Uh, May 7th in the morning. So, uh, in other words, you get yourself there, figure out that part of it, but then there will be 13 days with uh, Carmen Imes as our tour guide, and another lady who is a licensed Israeli tour guide, um, and then you're free to sort of catch a flight out again of Tel Aviv on the 20th. And it's going to be a blend of those of us who are sort of more routine pilgrims and students. And so we get a chance to mix it up with the students. We're limiting the team size to uh, 30. I think we're approaching about 20 right now. And we're wanting to sort of fill that in. And then we've got ourselves a, a lovely tour where we get a chance to learn from each other and with the students. So that's an invitation to you. We want you on that trip if you sort of have the time and, and space and capacity to do that. Uh, the cost is $4,000 US which covers the two weeks of food and hotel. It doesn't cover lunch. It covers breakfast and dinner for everybody over that whole time, as well as um, decent hotels. It's not, we're going, not going student style uh, in hostels. But it'll be a good tour. And Carmen is really an enlivening, um, animated teacher. So I'm looking forward to being there to, to hear, learn from her. Elaine and I are both going. Don't know if that's a good thing or a bad, but there you go. We'd love to have you. <clears throat> I also want to mention, um, at the end of October, uh, we've got our AGM annual general meeting on Thursday night, the 24th. You're welcome to come to that. It's in here. It's not that big a deal, but it is our chance to report to whoever among our publics that cares. And then uh, the next night, Friday night, October 25th, is the real uh, one to come for and that is Michael Messenger, the CEO of World Vision Canada, will be here. I happen to be part of their governance group um, at World Vision Canada, and um, uh, it's sort of a delight to be able to sneak him onto our campus without it costing a whole lot. Uh, so he's doing it on a, a sort of a tour where he's on his way to Vancouver, and I just asked if he could just stop here on his way. And he said yes. So he'll be telling us about taking Jesus to the margins. Now that's an interesting topic and one that actually World Vision has done a really good job of without it being a very religious type presentation, but they're actually doing that. And they have, in my opinion, have become more and more Christian in the way they've done their work. I know there, there are some of, of you who will have, you know, I, I suspect you'll be critical of them or, or something like that. And, and I, I would say um, probably you're right and, and probably you're wrong. Uh, and, and probably you could criticize Prairie and probably you'd be right and probably you'd be, you know, you get the idea. But World Vision is actually doing a great job of, of many, many things. And they have, I, I think they invited me to join that group to help 
bring them a little bit closer to that type of a missional uh, sort of profile. And so I'm honored. I'm delighted to be in that room. Anyway, we've got Michael here on that Friday night, October 25. The other thing that I'm surprised Kendi didn't mention is search the scriptures. So um, you, you all know the search questions. We have relaunched them. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, but we started in January, and then we restarted again in July because we didn't think people were keeping up. No. Um, uh, we, so, so you can join again in January. And they come out weekly, and we do a, a brief devotional, sort of like two or three paragraphs on the front of it, setting up the, 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 the context for the next week of questions. It's not overwhelming. It's an easy way to get through the canon. Um, you know that you can do it in four years. We're actually already in Job, or in the Psalms, by now. Um, and we started in January. So in other words, I think we're going to be through the whole of the canon in about two and a half years. It's an interesting way to get through the canon with the search questions. Um, you'll recognize many of the questions from your um, days here. So anyway, uh, we invite you to sign up for that again. It'll be launching on January 1 if you're not in. And if you can't do them, if you can't keep up, good. Get the email and then just park it into a file so that you can come back to it later when you have more time. I wanted to talk this morning about, um, well, I had four devotionals that I, I, I was wondering about, and so I, I went to Nathan Rook and Nicole Ioannidis, who both work with me, and I handed them these four cards asking which one did they think would be the one that would be most relevant or important or valuable to you. And, uh, and they both chose the same one, and, and I thought, that wasn't the one I was going to choose. So I've got to figure out how to fit all the others into it. No, no. no. But, um, you know, it was interesting. They didn't choose that one. And I think this one is going to slide into here a little bit. And this one's certainly going to be a part of, of what we're talking about. But they chose, they, they said, they thought it was um, time for me to do a, a, a devotional on Micah 6.8. So I, I said, okay, um, I'll, I'll do that prep work. Now, I already had some stuff coming together on it. And by the time we're done, you'll see how it fits to the class uh, themes well. And of course, it'll be a favorite of yours as well. But in the midst of all of this, I want one thread to be running through it, and that is the faithfulness of God to the faithful people. So I, I, I titled this, That I'm Thankful for the Faithful. And this applies to... Um, us in this room, this applies to those that we watch around us, and it apply, applies immeasurably to the God who comes to walk with us. So I put out the, the, the verse here, and then we're going to just take a look at, oh no, I didn't, I thought I did, um, I wrote it out here, and then I, I have it here somewhere, <laughs> Micah, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. It's not hard to know what's good, right? He has shown us what is good. But just for clarity, let me expand that the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
Okay, I think that's just amazing. Three points, alliterated, two, 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 you know. Uh, you know, this guy had, had to go to Prairie. Um, so I thought, well, what does this mean? What is the, the thread that's going through this? Well, for each of us in this room, it's going to mean different things. We're going to be thinking, um, you know, for, for me, honestly, the one that jumps out at me is act justly, act justly. You know, that's kind of been the go-to flag for me, I think, in all of my life. And I can remember being privileged as a, as a missionary kid and, and walking through a village in Africa and having people help me. And I'm like, no, no, that's not right. That's called caste. And those of us who are given caste, given privilege, need to be careful to push that down and start denying ourselves. This isn't self-righteousness. This is fairness. This is equity. This is actually justice. And so many times, we just need to, to take that simple step of courage and deny ourselves and in that way lift the, the interests of others. So I, that's the one that I go to. And then to love mercy... Uh, some of you will be going, that's me. I, you know, that's my you know, go-to. I, I think when I think of this verse, I want to show loving kindness to all these people. And then um, there are others who um, uh, would go to this, walk humbly with our God. And of course, that of course means, you know, you hang your head and, and you know, figure out how to hold your hands properly and have to right tone of voice. Such garbage, right? A truly humble person, you probably won't even notice to think that they're being humble. They're just part of the conversation, helping guide it along and not drawing attention to themselves. Right? That's the amazing thing about humility is it's actually specifically not drawing attention to itself, not even in its self-righteousness. And we have mastered the art of, of presentation of humility in our uh, piety as a Western church and probably as a global church, but I'd rather just take shots at the Western church. So what do these also have together? Well, they're all forms of showing love to one another. They're all part of that second great commandment. To love God means to love our neighbor as ourselves. And how do we do that? Well, we act justly. We love mercy and we walk humbly, building up the interests of others so that they'll be drawn to the God whom we represent. So I took a look at this and I thought, well, if we're going to be showing love through our justice, let's do it. Let's do it by honoring others. Let's make it a habit. Let's force ourselves to to sing the praises of people around you. I've noticed this, um, you know, given, given that I, I, you know, sort of am a bit of a student of, of leaders and, and leadership, uh, I've, I've tried to figure out how can I manage this room? I have a secret. Start singing the praises of every person in that room. And pretty soon, you're the leader. You know, that's the only reason I wanted to sing the praise of Mark, because I'm like, <laughs> No, I actually believe that. And, but but what, what, what happens is it comes back to reflect on you. And you inadvertently end up leading a room. Why? Because people can trust you with that. More than that, God himself can trust you with it. You see, he might have given us a talent, some ability. 
And as we begin to exercise that, he gives us more opportunities, and he gives us more opportunities. I don't believe that, you know, the parable of the talents is about eternity. I believe it's about now. He gives us abilities, and then as we use them well, he starts to pour in a little more and pour in a little more. And as we sing the praises of people around us, it comes back to us with multiples and powers in exponential, reflecting back on us. And then what we have to be careful about is that it doesn't go to our head. You're not that big a deal, nor am I. But we do need to just keep doing that. Yeah, just that, yeah. You know, God gave me this chance, God, and God brought Mark Jonah here, and brought, God brought Tim McKenzie here, and God brought Andrew Potter here, and God brought Kendi here, and each of them is excellent in their own way, excellent in their own way. And it's just a joy to be singing their praises as they do such great job. Let's make that our marker. Let's make that our distinctive. As each of you go back to your churches, some of us can't help but criticize people. And we call that intellectualism or something in cynicism. Like, no, no, we need to shut that down. Because it's easy to point out what's wrong. That's the numb nuts approach. That's dumb it down. It's really hard work to stay focused on what's right and what's good and what's happening. Now, that doesn't mean we're stupid about that either. It's an informed approach to praising God and praising others. Let's spend our time empowering the, the vulnerable. Let's make sure the people who don't have voices get the voice. Let's truly do that. I have an illustration of that one. I'm not sure I should use it because it's as recent as this last week, but it's also connected to protecting the rights of others. As you can tell, these are all sort of interrelated. Um, we have a young campus. We have uh, student families. We you know, pay lip service to being family friendly. I suspect your churches do too. I suspect your companies try to, uh, to whatever degree is practical. For us, it's not that hard to be family friendly, right? It just means allow spouses and children to come. And by and large, the spouses are women, right? By and large. And uh, all we have to do is figure out how to include them. So in our chapel, we are welcoming uh, parents and children in, in our chapel. And, you know, on average, they sit at the back, and on average, they sit on the sides, and if the kid gets noisy, you know, they, they know when to hook out of there, and, and it's all good, right? For, for nine or ten years, we've been doing this. This week, uh, uh, some students came saying they wondered if we could do closed-circuit TV to Parable Place during chapel. The answer is yes. So the, the question is why? Well, that way the children and, and, and parents could be over there and, and it would be a little more... Um... No! No! Why is it that the women and children always have to accommodate us? Like, we need to stop that noise. I don't think that worship was intended to be the proper-looking, clean, tidy, professional service. Now, I'm not telling you how to run your church. I'm really not. But I am telling you what we're trying to do here. And if you can fit it into yours, great. I think God intended the whole family to worship him together. And this idea of sterilizing the sanctuary needs to stop. Like, come on. Why is it the women always get shuttered out? 
So I suggested that yes, we could do closed circuit and maybe what we should do is do it so that the students who are bothered by the noise could go over to the next auditorium. <laughs> I think that's a loss too, actually, but um, like, come on, isn't that a little bit of justice? A little piece of looking out for the people who always take the hit? I, this is a soapbox of mine. Uh, I just saw a study done like two weeks ago by Barna uh, in partnership with World Vision. It is an excellent piece of research. The podcasts are available for free on the Barna website. I invite you to it. It's about two hours of excellent content. Um, leaders from all over the world. The primary uh, injustice that they identified in their research around the world was the, the treatment of women. That probably fits. It's about half of the world. And, and all over the world, women are treated badly. We need to change that. And we do it in our Western church. Let's not get self-righteous and act like, yeah, yeah, you know, we, we take care of the women and all this. Do we? Ask the hard question. And let's make sure that we do that. And those of us who are of the male gender, I was going to throw in some bad words in there, but that's not good. But those of us who are men need to be the ones fighting for the rights of the women. We as white people should have been fighting. Thank God for William, William Wilberforce. We should have been fighting for the rights of black slaves. We could have done a, a lot better job and gotten it done a lot more quickly if we'd had the conviction to get it done. And I think it's time to move that dial. I think it's also time to move the dial for kids, but that's another whole topic. But let's tear down all forms of caste. Recognize when you are caste endowed, caste empowered, and, and reject it. And then start handing out that caste to others. It's a really good thing, and I think God smiles. And that's our job, isn't it? Our job is to put a smile on the face of the Almighty. And I think he would like to see us do that. Let's show our love with kindness, this idea of mercy. Let's be gracious with people who fail, right? I think probably most of you are. I saw an awful lot of graciousness in the, in the face of my failures. Gentle with our criticism. There may be extra things going on. Uh, generous with praise. This is a way of of building up the room and everybody wins when we build up the room of those around. Let's be known for giving life to others. And then let's show our love with humility. Let's live true to our creative purpose. This one I'll, I'll get uh, sort of a little bit of more application here at the, at the school. When I arrived, I think we were trying to figure out what our created purpose was. We weren't putting it that way. We were calling it mission and vision, all these nice Western words. Um, and, uh, the, the, and I, I looked at him going, I, I, I think, okay, so I, I did sort of a, a scan of, of the many subjects, but in the midst of it, I walked through um, creation for some reason, and I, I, and I was, folk, I know why, I was focused on the names of God. Elohim is the first name of God in the Bible. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And Elohim, I look it up, and there is a list of the names of God on the back. You're welcome to it. I think it's the most valuable piece of paper on your way out. Um, so take one for your own devotions or for your small group or, or you know, for whatever, notepad. Um, but... Uh, I was looking up Elohim, and Elohim is this messed up definition in the Hebrews. Um, 
meaning creator. Okay, I got that. And judge. Like what? And judge? Like you're going to build it and tear it down? No. At the beginning of day one, he looked and he saw that it was good. He judged. Judgment isn't always bad. It should be also good, right? Day two, day three, day four, day six, he looked and he saw that it was very good. Now, why did he say it's very good? I think it's because he created women, but that's a subject I already talked about. Um, but that clearly was the crowning piece of creation. So, so don't, don't miss that point. But the reason I believe God saw that it was good was everything was serving its created purpose. All of creation was serving its created purpose. Okay, I bring that home here and I'm going, well, what is our created purpose? I think our created purpose is to teach the canon. All 66 books, not survey. Right? Now, I, I think you'll all be agreeing with that. So um, I, I, I began talking about that, and, and I had a couple of our scholars explain to me that that's not the way education works nowadays. And I'm like, yeah, but either we've got to be wealthy and very good at academics if we're going to take the um, university approach or we've got to stay with our created purpose and assume that God is going to help us get this ball down the field. He's got bigger pockets. I'm good. Let's get to this. So now I, I did a, a, a Glenn and I uh, sort of somehow together, we, we put together the list of the 66 books. We found that we were doing about 80% of them. So my first question was, can we get across the line? Can we cover all, the, all of the canon? Can we teach the whole of the Bible? And again, the academics came to say, um, actually, that's not, what we do is we teach people to study, and then for the rest of their lives, they study the canon. Right. Yeah, okay. But can we use the canon to teach them how to study? Um, and can we use the whole of the canon? Or what, what part should we leave out, right? There's some parts that are a little bit nasty, so I'll come out. And in the end, of course, uh, we lost one or two faculty members. But the real challenge wasn't getting full coverage. We got that within about six months. Okay, we'll add those classes. And then I realized I'd asked the wrong question. And you're going, what was the right question? For all students. Can we teach the whole of the canon for all students? And, I, and I'd missed it. And so, you know, we were successfully across the line, and then I realized, ah, oh, I got a whole battle in front of me still. Um, but I, honestly, it wasn't like I was the only one pushing this. It was not that way at all. It was just someone needed to sort of say, let's, 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 let's do this. And then people started gathering in, and, and, uh, and it was Glenn Lowen who picked this one up, and with great courage, determination, uh, conviction, I think is the right word, he, he's our dean of education and a great guy, tremendous, tremendous man of God. Um, and he, he figured out how to walk this ball down the field. Now, we, at the same time, off the good back of our chairman, John Grasmick, uh, went down, Elaine and I, to visit uh, DTS. And uh, I found out, wow, they cover the whole of the canon, da-da-da. How do you do that? Well, we do it in seven courses, four Old Testament, three New Testament. Um, wow. Good idea. Do you mind if we steal that formula? 
So that was what we did. We, and they said, yeah, absolutely, help yourself. And we changed the books around a little bit, I think, and, and we, our approach is a little bit different. But ours, our approach is read the entire canon. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. This is our creative purpose. This is our creative purpose. I don't, you know, mission matters, yes. Vision matters, yes. But what's your creative purpose? Why are we on earth? To help people hear the word of the Lord. So um, that was the, the, the first thing. Why does that connect with humility? Well, it's submitting ourselves to a system that is centuries and millennia old. Are we not going to improve on it? Yeah, we'll give it some fresh words. We're not going to improve on it. We're not going to improve on it. And it was surprising how there were pockets of resistance getting there. Once we got there, people leaned in and embraced it wholeheartedly. Um, second thing about humility is embracing routines. I don't know if a, a great company can be built without people doing the mundane. Greatness is the sum of many people doing routine things again and again and again. Extraordinary is built by doing extraordinaries. And that's what we need to do in our lives. Whatever is your routine, whatever is the mundane, do it with gusto. How does a mother become a great mother? You know, get them up, get them changed, get them showered once a week. I don't know what it is. You know, feed them, feed them, feed them, get them to school, and then do it again, and then do it again, and then do it again. I, I listened to a message by Jeff Mannion out of Illinois on this subject. He used the illustration of Samuel. So I... I went to Dr. Imes, Carmen Imes, our Old Testament professor, to get a map of the era of Samuel. And um, I'm going to see if I can make this work. Oh, I don't know if it, that it's working. But uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go point to some cities. So Samuel was born in Ramah or lived in Ramah. His family was from there. He was dedicated to the temple and worked in the temple in Shiloh up there, and in 1 Samuel chapter 7, we're told that Samuel led Israel all his life, and he went from Mizpah to Bethel to Gilgal. I think it means once a year, sort of he had that as his circuit. And then in 1 Samuel 25, we're told, and Samuel died. I'm like, wait a minute. Hang on, what did he do? Like, you know, he pointed Saul, he pointed David to king. Um, he had that amazing uh, vision in the middle of the night about Eli when he was a kid. And he had a couple of other highlights, but that was kind of it. And then he did this circuit, and he did this circuit, and he did this circuit, and he did this circuit. I, I went out and bought a slinky because I like toys in my office. But I, I wanted to illustrate, use it to illustrate, and I dropped it here with the staff, and I showed how these, you know, you just do it again and a little better, and do it again and do it again and do it again. And do you know, these are like five miles apart. And this is like 25 miles apart. It might be 20 and back. 
The whole of his life can be summed up in doing this circuit. What would have taken a long day to walk, the whole of it, was his routine. And he did it faithfully. And he brought justice. And he showed mercy. And he walked humbly among them. And in 1 Samuel 25, we're told, and Samuel died, and all Israel mourned. Wow, that's a legacy. Let's do, let's embrace the mundane. Let's lean into what God has given us where we don't get a whole lot of recognition. It's okay. It's okay. Because that's letting God be God. How often do we get busy and worried and frustrated and flustered? You know, the, the problem with our timelines is that time is on God's side. Unless you don't believe he's eternal. He's running out of time. I'm running out of time. Let's go. Right? That is the problem with, with, with our timeline compared to God's. He has time. I told Glenn several years ago, I think we need a, a, a seminary, a graduate school. We will be launching a, a graduate program on global education uh, next June. It'll all be online. And it'll be an excellent program. Um, but it's sort of the beginning into this. And, you know, Glenn actually doesn't think we should have one. You know what? Glenn might be right. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, let's not do it. It's a bad idea. So I haven't gotten worked up about it. I haven't gotten frustrated. And Glenn is the one who uses this illustration. He, only he uses it this way. Um, actually, Mark sets our pace. So I, I need to get over the fact that I don't think this is a good idea. Let's, I need to get it done. Okay, that's, that's fair. On the other hand, he might be right that we shouldn't have a seminary. And I don't want us to waste the time or effort going into that track if we're not supposed to. So I'm not pushing the tape on that. I'm not pushing the rope. I'm not trying to get a, make it happen. But if it does happen, I think that that's kind of where we'll end up. And it might be 20 years before we have it. I may be long gone before we have it. But I do think that that will round out our product a little better, our training. Anyway, that's a, an invitation to all of us to be a little more flexible. Let's be known for our flexibility as we uh, work toward our goals as good Westerners, goal-oriented, mission, you know, all this kind of stuff. Anyway, there we go. I, I do think that this relates to all of the, the um, themes uh, that are of the classes that we're celebrating this year, the 50, 40, and 30-year uh, anniversaries, called unto holiness. This is a definition of holiness, right? Uh, holy following our God. That, this, this is a form of holy following our God. I had wrote out all the verses that I thought each of these came from. Um, that I may know him is a way of also saying, this is a way of expressing his word, hearing from him and doing what he wants us to do. I even looked up um, 1967 because that was the year that Peter uh, would be an anniversary of remembering and he, his was walk worthy of our God. Is there any way to walk more worthy than to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God? Our Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for the, the mission that you've put us on. I thank you for the privilege of serving you. I pray that we would be hearers of your word, that we would hear from you and doers. 
And I pray that we would be delivering your word so that others will hear the word of the Lord. We thank you for the privilege of being carriers in our different circles. So help us to do that well. Help us to do that faithfully. We thank you for your faithfulness in helping us. We thank you for your faithfulness in providing for us. And we thank you for your faithfulness in delivering the results. So just help us to do the daily walk. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus, your Son, whom we call Lord, Jesus. Amen. And now for a change. I should have a change of hats or a change of... I want to talk a little bit about what's going on at uh, the school. So this is now the update portion, and, and this can go very quickly, or we can you know, pause along the way and do Q&A. I'm going to switch back to this one. I need my hands, so I'm going to switch back to this mic. Uh, Andrew, thank you. So um, I talked about our created purpose. We also have a, a, a core motto. This came out of 1923. Um, Grandpa wrote it out by hand, penned out that the motto for the school will be to know Christ and make him known. This is still true of us. I'm going to show you that in a minute, how we, it comes together. Our core values we established really early on. I think I've talked enough about how Bible is central to who we are. Um, if we do build out a whole university, and I don't picture that happening, but if we were, I would picture us building out a whole university that has those seven Bible courses in the core for all of the degree earning students. So everyone who gets a degree does the seven courses. That's a different model than most. And I think it's the right model. And I think it was the model that, was a, that, that helped establish some of the great schools and then they sort of tracked a little bit away from it. But anyway, uh, that's Bible-based. Christ-centered, I, I think the best way to say Christ-centered, which is easy words to, to flip out and then you kind of go, well, what does that mean? I think it means to have a loving, healthy community. To, to prove that Jesus is the Son of God, we need to um, show love to one another. That's the best tract we can hand out on the streets of our towns, to love our neighbors, especially our brothers and sisters in the church. Um, to be discipleship-directed, that means to, to, to do a walk of service, a life of service for others, which is really an expression of that love again. Oops. And we don't, don't want to be mission-mandated. No. And then, and then to be mission-mandated, to be missional in our work, to be focused on where we're going and how it serves building uh, a kingdom that is much greater than sort of our own region and much greater than our own time in, in history. So uh, this, these are the four that we gather around. These are the ones that we believe enough to actually do. And these are the ones that we... Uh, wouldn't sell our souls. We will stay with these even if we have to give up a few things. But this would be, to move off of any of these would be to be giving up our souls. And on mission, I think you probably all know this, but just for the sake of clarity, we don't mean um, international missions. That's a caste that has been here at Prairie, and you all know it. You know, there are missionaries, and then there are the ministers, and then there are the people in business. That's bad theology. It's really bad theology. And we all know it. 
And who has to call it out? The guy who's here has to say, no. Every person is in ministry and is missional in their work. I was in investments in Toronto. I believe I was a missionary to Toronto. Um, and I think that's no, and I, I didn't see, you know, you can tell I don't have an inferiority complex. So, you know, I was fine, I'm good. You think less of me? Not my problem. Uh, but that would be true of all of your professions. And I say that to all of us in business or farming or whatever it is. There is a level field at the foot of the cross. And I think we all believe it. Um, but I want you to know what we do here. How do we build teams? So when I take a look at the school, I have a, you know, sort of there's this, this Western language of key performance indicators. I, I do a very quick run through and team is the first thing that I check on. How are we doing as a community? Are we getting along? Are we living in harmony? Am I aware of forest fires or bonfires that need to be shut down? Sometimes those fires are good, so I need to let them burn for a little while and get some stuff figured out. I don't want sappy clap happy. That's disingenuous. That's actually a very dangerous room to have people who are acting like they're getting along and all they do is talk about the weather. No, have your fights, but do it in a way where we're all wanting to win and, and, and serve and build a kingdom that's much bigger than ourselves. So my first checkpoint is community. How are we doing as community? And, and our prayer at the very beginning, Elaine and I arrived sort of nine or 10 years ago, was uh, God give us harmony. Now, he did. Uh, but it came out of reading John and Galatians and Ephesians, um, Corinthians. And I was sort of bedded in that part of the canon. And, and uh, I was so sure that God wanted us to live in harmony. Now, we had a lot of things to fix. We were losing a million a year. We had siloing on campus. We had self-righteousness rampant. Um, lots of bad smells. We had bullies. You know, and Christian bullies are the worst, aren't they? They figured out how to make it all, you know, Right. And, and it's just awful. It has a horrible smell. And, and, and I'd, I'd walk in going, this has got to stop. Went into a management team one time. Oh, boy. I don't know if I should tell this one. I went into a management. This is not in the books. Um, went into a management team one time, and I knew they were, they, they, here they were all chattering, happy, and laughing, and da-da-da-da. And, um, and I knew this one wasn't getting along with them. And this one wasn't going along with her, and she wasn't like she didn't like him, and he didn't like her, and and I'm like, this is an unsafe room. If this is what's going on, and I'm aware of it, what? How much danger am I in? Lots. And I, with a prayer, asked if we could have an honest conversation. And then I did something I've never done before. I'm not sure I'd recommend it. But I just threw it out on the table like, Joe, you're not too happy with, with Jane. I know that because of this topic. And Jane, you're not too happy with me because of this topic. But we never talk about it. And, and Rich, you're, you're kind of ticked about this. And, and so, you know, I, I, I knew something was offside, off, off tilt with each person in the room. And I identified just pulling them all in. So there was no one left sort of without sort of a, a chip I'd taken out of them, or, and I took it out of myself. But the point was, can we have an honest conversation? 
That was a very important step in growing toward harmony because we became honest and we no longer had to be sappy, clap, happy. Very dangerous conversation. But it helped us break forward. So I check on harmony. We had to reduce our head count from 186. We're now down around uh, 80. Uh, so we just lost one. Uh, and it took about 18 months for us to chip, chip that down to about 100. And at 18 months, we hit a New Year's, and Elaine turns to me, and she says, so do you have a New Year's resolution? And I, no, I don't normally do that. Wait a minute, I've got one. I'd like to go a year without firing someone. And I had arrived from Bay Street, where I'd built firms. I don't think I'd fired anybody in all my life. I, we were building companies, and it was growing so fast, all I could do was hire the best people possible and mourn when they left, um, but if they weren't up to it, you know, better to be gone. But I, I actually don't think I'd ever fired anybody. And I get out here, and we're overloaded with, with people. And we had to get going fast. So over, you know. And I made it to November, that, that New Year's resolution. That's better than some of you. And then I, then I let someone go again. But um, in the course of choosing who would stay, because that was the job. It wasn't a job of who to let go. It was a question of who do we need to keep. It's a different approach to uh, reducing. Uh, I use these four C's, which come from Bill Hybels. I know there are better names to drop right now, but we'll let that go. Uh, and he talked about character, competence, chemistry, and his fourth one was cultural fit. We flipped it here to called. Um, I like to think of these three, these, these four as three legs of a stool. Um, you're going, but there are four, Mark, and I'll get to that. But character is hardworking, honest, transparent, vulnerable, teachable. It's all on a page out in the back. Uh, you can grab one of these sheets. And all those are listed under character, and it's how we applied it here. And um, character, all Christians are people of good character, right? No. We're lazy, and we lie. Uh, and then we make, make ourselves, we get self-righteous about it, and we try and get ourselves off the hook using our Bible. It's like, it's really bad. So that's Character. Um, finding a, a Christian with good character who's not trying to self-justify themselves into their laziness. Special people. And we are overloaded with special people. Competent. Good at what you're supposed to do. Really good at what you're supposed to do. Among the best in the world is our goal. And we've, we're getting there. But the third one, you see, if you've got those first two, people kind of become potentially... Prickly, right? I'm hardworking. I get my job done. I'm the best you can get. And then suddenly they got no chemistry or they've got bad chemistry and they're treating other people badly. Like, come on, no, treat each other well. Now, I learned that actually on Bay Street at, at, a, at the best firm I ever worked at, Gordon Capital. Each person around our table, so we had a, a, a sort of a, a morning meeting every, there's the war room, 7.30 in the morning. Each person in that room, about 50 chairs, uh, sitting around a table contributed their best and we considered them to be the best in their area. A remarkable room of talent. And they were working hard. They'd run out of that room right after that meeting and get to work and work hard till whatever time when the job was done, they could go home. 
Some of them that meant four o'clock, some of them that meant seven. We didn't count the hours, we got the job done. And then they were nice. That's an amazing room. To be really good at what you're doing means you're, you're comfortable in your skin and you're not making a big deal out of it. You don't have to chip away from someone else's piece of pie. Chemistry is so important. It's about attitude. And there's no way to account for attitude. I, I mean, financial accounting. It's either infinitely con contributing positive or infinitely negative. If someone's got a bad attitude, you've got to get them out. A lot of Christians, a lot of us have bad attitudes. Right? And we can be prickly. We need to stop that. Now, we think of those as three legs on a stool, those three, and each of them needs to be equally long and equally strong, equally nice, equally competent, equally hardworking, and then the stool sits straight. Sometimes the nicest person in the world is incompetent. You've got to figure that out and either let them go or move them around so that they can you know, be competent and a nice person. But the nicest people in the world sometimes are just covering up for being incompetent. You've got to figure that out. But if you get all three of those legs sitting nice and strong and you're doing ministry, you're still not going to last. You've got to be called. And that's the cushion on the stool to help them go the distance. And uh, for sure, uh, that's language that my wife uses, not I. I wasn't sure we were called, but she was. I'm going, I'm, I follow her. Uh, we're good. And so we came out. She was the one who decided we should, um, that I should come out here and look after the school. Okay, I'm, I'm good with that, but you, you're coming with me, right? You know, she's, I'll be there in a few months. Okay. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so anyway, that's, that, that, that's this team building thing. And that's the first key performance indicator of how we're doing for me. The next uh, is uh, programming. Um, uh, I think we always have to be improving. Our goal is to be delivering programs that are among the best in the world in each of their areas. Uh, we've kind of taken the, the international missions thing and tilted it over, sort of pushed that silo over and made every program uh, a bit of a missions program. All we think of it is as global exposure. Find the greatest needs of the world and how you can fit your skill into it. So nursing, they go to Mozambique. Not just the missionaries go, the nurses go. Well, yeah, that's because they're ministers, right? And the same with digital media. Digital media are ministers, absolutely. So they either go to Tibet, which is a very interesting country, very needy, but they get to take picture, pictures, and they actually hike on um, Mount Everest. They typically will also take a, a road up to base camp, so they get privileged. Um, I'm jealous. And then, and then there's Ecuador. They, this year they went to Ecuador because China's a little bit dicey uh, right now, or it was, and I think it probably still is with what's going on with Huawei. So um, we want all of our people, all of our programs to have an international exposure. Why? Because travel is education. And this world is a marvelous place to learn about. So that's, we've launched three, we've got three emphasis in uh, that we're developing right now, and, and that's business that Kendi mentioned, sport management, we're growing, and we're launching this MA in global Christian education in partnership with ACSI and, um, and Teach Beyond. Uh, and uh, we think that it'll be a tremendous program, but it's all online. People can take it from all over the world. Uh, 
So now we've got four degrees, bachelor degrees, fully online, so people from anywhere in the world can take it, and we've got this master's program that'll clip onto it. In addition, as we've innovated our way forward, um, we've taken our four-year pastoral studies degree, and with two schools, Taylor and Carey, Carey we have yet to announce, so it's a little bit of a pre-announcement, but it's fine. Um, the deal is done, and they're coming in November to sign it all up. They have a three-year ma uh, master MDF program at both of those schools. At Taylor, it's in, on campus. At Cary, it's online. Now, when you do this and this, you actually have some duplicate courses, and you kind of go, why waste the time? Could we eliminate some of this duplication? Both of those schools said, sure. Why don't you cut back one of your years? And we said, sure. Why don't you cut back one of yours? And uh, so we've now got a fast-track MDiv for those students who get started and focused and they have to perform. They can get an MDiv, what it normally takes seven years, done in five. And with Kerry, they can do it all online. Our three years online, Kerry's two years online, get a, a bachelor from us and a master's from them by eliminating all the duplication. Another one of my checkpoints is uh, financials. I mentioned that we were losing a million a year uh, when, when we arrived and, and I decided the first thing to work on was harmony, not business. But in the midst of that, we got working on the financials. In the first full year that we were here, we still lost a million dollars. Like, wow, this is a really tough ship to turn. And it's a lot of grinding and working and and uh, so now we're kind of at a run rate of making uh, probably 200000 to $500,000 of profit a year. And that's what we've done for the last three or four years. This last year, the year just ended that has not yet been reported, which I'll be talking about in, in October, a month from now, we uh, will show uh, earnings of about a half a million dollars. And that's on $9.3 in revenue. So... Um, since we arrived, our expenses were 8.5 million, and 10 years later, our expenses are 8.8 .8 million. But our revenue has gone from 7.5 million to 9.3 million, allowing us to turn from a loss to a profit. That doesn't mean we spend the money the same way. We did a lot of re-engineering of our spending. But that's kind of a picture of what we've done financially or managerially over the last 10 years. And uh, this year, our enrollment is a little bit soft. I, I, the first reports I was getting were, was like it was a disaster. The numbers that I got were 174 students last year, which those of you who are here would, might remember that number. 274, 274 new uh, students on campus last year. And as we closed out our enrollment to, at, the, at the beginning of the year, so registration, um, the number I heard was 235 or 40. And as like a knife in the gut, I'm like, ah, I was so discouraged. Like, no, we've got all these good things happening. We're on mission with what we're supposed to do. We're serving our creative purpose. It's not supposed to go backwards. Okay, so we need to do some marketing. We need to tell more people. That's true. We need your help doing that. But... Um, then Douglas came in on, I don't know, a couple days ago. And he said, Mark, I, I've been doing some reconstruction of last year's 274. I'm like, don't, don't be changing last year's numbers. 
As, you know, that's like autobiographical. Um, don't do that. No, 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 no. He says, I mean, I'm trying to figure out what was the 274. What was in it? What was this and this and this? Therefore, to get the same number, we need to do the same construct. And uh, he said, I think our number is between 260 and 264 compared to 274 last year. A little bit soft. Don't want it to continue that way, but not the disaster that I thought it was a few uh, weeks ago. And I'm praying that we'll see it times two in the next couple of years. Because uh, I think the, the needs of the world merit that type of activity from us. So that's financials. Um, I, 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 then, I, then I think a little bit more about um, our strategic direction and our plans and where we're going. We are working hard on um, scholarship funding. We're working hard on campus renovation. I think you'll agree the campus looks good. Nice to have an 80-year-old building down and gone and with grass growing. So um, we were going to put a new building in there, and I'm, I'm kind of looking at it going, ah, I like the green. I like the trees. I like the grass. Uh, and so I'm not sure. Uh, but we do have uh, full plans drawn for a new building to go in there, a new auditorium to go here. This is a beautiful room, but it's a little bit like um, artificial knees and and you know, rep replaced elbows and, and stuff like that because there's not a lot of good underneath it. Um, but anyway, this room is a beautiful room. That room, I think, is, barely makes it. Uh, but this building is as old, I think, as Imbach was probably. So it's, it's, you know, anyway, we need to replace it and get a bigger auditorium, I think. Uh, and so that's kind of what we're thinking about. We also must get our, our dorms uh, renovated and up to code. And so we're, we're going to start with the dorms. I don't know whether Tim may tell us whether we're going to an auditorium next or the collegium next. The collegium is a cool building. It's that welcome center. And on top of it, it's going to be sort of four stories high and it steps back. It's beautiful. Um, and then on top will be a prayer room, uh, which will serve as a boardroom and occasional classroom, but mostly it'll be just a dedicated prayer room on the top of it. Very exciting. So those are some of the strategic thinking. We want sort of functionally to be a loving center, a learning center, an engaged center, and then a lasting center. So we hope we're enabling lovers of God. Uh, we hope we're bringing excellence in education. We hope we're equipping with global vision, and we hope we're ensuring sustainability. So that's a little bit of the, the thing. The way we picture it here is with a graphic, which is sort of this Venn diagram you do, your loving section and your learning and your engaging. Where we find them overlapping is the space that we should focus. And uh, so we think that where they overlap is to know Christ, loving God and learning about him, those two right ones, and making him known uh, which is equipping for global vision. And our goal is to build the global kingdom of God, uh, which is, shows up as an expression in a local church. I am done. Tim, I think you're going to bring closing. Do you want to do any questions? Any, any comments? Any additional? Let's do 90 seconds with Q&A, and then we'll go over to Tim. Sir. We can't cover it in 90 seconds. Oh, ask. Let's try it. Uh, does nostalgia carry any weight when you're 
Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Nostalgia. This is beautiful, isn't it? Well, I don't want to do that. Not twice. <laughs> um, there's a function. We might, you know, if we worked really hard and put cost aside, then we might be able to keep these two and build out on the front of it with a larger auditorium. I think we need something that seats 700 to 1,000 as well as these two. I agree with you, this isn't your point, but I agree that we need a room that seats about this size, 166 I think is the number, um, and then a room that seats about 300, which is that number. I think those are both auditoriums that we will have to replace. Someone should turn off your phone. Just put it on buzz. Uh, but, uh, and I, and I, I what we are thinking about is long-term architecture that connects us both to our heritage, which is your point, and to the global church. So we're thinking along the lines of living water, living stones, and those, you know, there's several living things in, in the canon. Um, we're, we're thinking about how to bring those in and make those photo ops or centers of reflection as well. <laughs> With your help, we might be able to save the building, but it, it, it needs a lot of work, this building, the wiring and stuff. But this room is beautiful. We would save these seats, and we'd probably reposition them in, in something. Yes? Oh yeah, we fired him. Oh yeah. You, what did you ask? When you had to reduce the number of staff when you first came, yeah. was, was it later or was it the same as firings or as layoffs? I'm not trying to play words. I was, yeah. Yeah, we didn't play cute with um, trying to be nice. We were firing him. I, I actually think that's okay. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure we did, but we'll try. Um, and my, my sister's trying to rescue me. Uh, I, 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 it's not just ministries that have trouble laying people off. And I think firing and laying people off, I'd say the same thing. Um, and, but, but too many Christian ministries, too many of us, try to soften what we're doing and use words that, that misrepresent the truth. We're firing them. We're laying them off. It's, you could say the same, you know, they're gone. We're going to give them a severance package. Now, I have a different approach to it than the textbooks, which probably doesn't surprise you. Um, I think the textbooks are inhuman. Um, the idea of always go in with someone else, I think, is bad policy. I think it's bad Christianity go in and have a conversation one-to-one. -one. If they're going to misrepresent what you said, they're going to misrepresent it anyway. And if they actually ab aggressively misrepresent it, the truth will come out later anyway. So I'm not too worried about people misrepresenting me. And 
A few did. And it only took a matter of, I don't know, I didn't even respond to, to how they were, you know, misrepresented. It's okay. I think, you know, uh, so, so number one, I, don't, I go in for the meeting by myself. Typically, I laid off all of them myself. Not all, but by far most. Number two, um, I don't go in with documents, okay? So the books say, go in with your documents, get all, you know, and then, and then you, you present them with documents. Quite often, they have use HR to do it. I think that's inhuman. I think they're gonna, I'm going to get blamed for it. I think I'll carry that ball, thank you. I'll have the conversation, and, and um, then we will do the documents in a couple days. We'll sign it up later. Number three, and this is also important, we let people tell the news themselves. Um, I don't try and get out in front of it. I don't try and manage the press. I don't try and, you know, be sure that everybody gets the right spin. No, no. They, they, they can, they, I'll give them a couple days to tell their friends I'm being let go or I'm being fired. To me, those are the same, they, you know. And, uh, and for me, the test of whether or not we've done a good job of letting them go is how quickly they get reemployed. If I let them go and they're devastated and they go home and curl up, I have done a huge disservice. If I let them go, they leave here empowered. Um, I, one, I'll tell them, oh, yeah, here's the fourth thing. I will always tell them why. There's a reason I'm letting you go. Whatever it is, you, you're always late to a meeting. I, you know, we've talked about it, I'm sorry. Um, or you're a bully. A couple of those. Uh, or, you know, different things like that. Just straight up. But I'm not letting you go for cause. I'm going to give you a severance package. Because if you have the reason, then theoretically you can get off of letting, giving them a severance package. It's not worth it. I think it's probably wrong. I'm not sure that that's true. But it takes longer to build a case that's ironclad than to simply give them a fair severance package. So those are four things that I do. And you know, in 10 years, we haven't been sued. Uh, I can, you know, and I'll also tell them, here are your rights. You, you, you know, you're entitled to six weeks or eight weeks, and I'll show them in the law. Um, and we'll, we'll, you know, we're gonna add a few to it, whatever it is, double it. Um, if you wanna sue us, then, you know, come back in a few days after you've had a chance to think about it, we'll do the documents, and then um, you take them home with you, bring them back, if you sign them, great, we're done, it's good. If, uh, if you don't sign them, the package is off the table, and uh, you can take us to court. Well, they won't win more. And uh, the, the, the other thing that I've been very aware of is I have let things go too long, and um, I've given a little bit too much leeway in letting people go, but you know, you're going to make mistakes along the way, and that's probably not a bad one to make. But no, no, I would say we fire them. Thank you. <laughs> Could you explain the ratio that you have Right. Economically, it was upside down. We had 250 students and 186 on payroll. We did. But the good news is, when you're, when you're in that kind of a crisis, you can choose who the team is that's going to be on the field. If you've got two people, you might as well choose the better one. 
And I literally use those four C's, and we still use the four C's. It is our annual review. Our annual review is one page. One page. And annual reviews go this way. You fill out your own form and come in with it marked up. You do a self-assessment first. And then your supervisor takes a different color pencil or pen and writes over top of it to say whether or not they agree or disagree, and they push it one way or the other. Studies have shown that a supervisor doing the annual review will reflect in the review 52% of the time more of themselves than they will on the one being reviewed. So I really shouldn't do a whole lot of reviewing of other people. It's just going to be a whole lot of pictures of me, I think. Right? Isn't that weird? But if they do their own self-reflection and then I look at it and I'm going, huh, I think that, yeah, you're right. Or no, I'd push that one up or I'd push that one a little down. We've got a conversation that's real, it's friendly, it's constructive. The other thing, and by now you know, we'll have had the difficult conversations well early, way before year end annual review. But everybody gets an annual review on our campus. That is a sentence that very few companies can say. And it's a, it's a hurrah moment, it's a celebration, because we've had the difficult conversations so that by the time you get to annual review, it's either moving in the right direction or you ought to fire them anyway and don't wait for the annual review to fire them. Annual review should be a party. Bring snacks. Thank you, Len. I, you're right. The, the ratios. Ruth, what did I miss? Ah, yes. Yeah. You can do this, Mark. <laughs> yeah. I I really wish I knew. I you know, if I were to grade myself, I, I would say I've done well on team, I've done well on programs, I've done well on campus. And of course, it's not me, it's, it's me working with others and all this kind of stuff. But I, I'd say da 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 da, and then I have failed profoundly in marketing. I, 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 there, you know, the, 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 the other thing that I failed at is, is attracting other schools to come here. Now, um, Candy wanted me to talk about partners. I don't think we will, but we love partners. And they're very important to us. MAF runs our aviation program. Bow Valley runs our nursing school. So we're good at partnership. And the one that I haven't, I've been singularly unsuccessful at is getting other schools to join us. Since we arrived 10 years ago, five schools have closed their doors. Five like schools have closed their doors in Canada. I was in touch with all of them. I have leprosy. They won't come near me. I don't know why. Um, so I haven't been able to get across that line. Now, where we are working is with denominations. So the Alberta Baptist Association and the Canadian Baptist of Western Canada, both of those two denominations are Taylor and Carey. We have built a very solid partnership with them. We are their undergrad schools of choice. Their undergrad school of choice. Um, and that might be a way build linkage to the denominations without losing our core value of interdenominationalism. 
So uh, honestly, Beth, I don't, I don't think we're very good at it. Um, I have heard about one school that used likes, clicks. Um, they, they identified events that were kin to them, but outside their circle. Um, let me use an illustration. Let's say we pick up on um, uh, Francis Chan. Any quote from Francis Chan? Okay, now, you can, using electronics, find every person who likes a Francis Chan quote. And you can also identify what their demographic is. And for us, I would say anybody between 17 and 21, if they like a Francis Chan quote, hit them with a prairie ad. That, I think, is what um, a school did in Minneapolis, Bethany Global. Um, and they saw a big jump. So, but I don't think there's a, a silver bullet. I think they also built a whole new website and a system. So we're, we're trying... We've made many, many changes in our marketing and enrollment, and we aren't done, but we're, going to, we're trying again this year with new ideas. Hope that, and and I, I suppose there's nothing more compelling than supportive voices. Those of you who are out in your communities, you know, drop the word, and it's helpful. Uh, this is just a little bit of Jim Collins, our mandate, going the right direction with the right people, in the right seats, on the bus. This is a bus idea. With the right culture. I, I believe culture is very important. And having the right culture uh, is very hard work. Um, but we also believe in tapestry structure, not hierarchy. That means um, we're, we're a flat organization. I know I'm, I'm responsible, so I'm not trying to deny that. It's just... Um, when someone's job, when, it's, when it is someone's job to take the lead, they pop up. And the rest of the whole organization gathers to follow them. So when it's Tim's turn to speak, it's actually my duty to sit down and shut up. And, and, and the same with Kendi. Um, and they lead us. And it's my duty to support them and follow them. That means I do very, actually, very little leading, actually. Um, it's just when people show up, they... Like this, they give me the microphone and tell me what to do. But that's what tapestry is, on-demand leadership. And uh, it, it, I think it works. I think it works in the secular world really well. And I think it can work in churches if pastors are willing to be good followers too. There is a sign out in the graveyard that marks the death of Prairie Bible Institute. I'd like to suggest the school is not... The, the, sign, the, the, the news of its demise is premature. Um, but I think that's a funny tomb marker. Uh, we are still Prairie Bible Institute as a corporation. Uh, and we are Prairie College as a marketing brand. And the reason is um, PBI has Bible in the middle of the name. And that's a speed bump in opening doors to places we want our students to go. I kind of made this decision, and, and with the support of many others, uh, to, to, to go to something that people were using anyway. They were lying about coming to PBI. They were saying, I'm, I'm going to Prairie College. I, I, can, I, I can name Amr was coming here 
from Pakistan, and he lied about the name of our school because he knew he wouldn't get a visa if he put PBI on it. Why would we make our students lie? But we didn't take our name to Prairie College. We kept the corporate name again. It still is Prairie Bible Institute, and I don't need, know that that needs to change. Um, but our marketing name, we, we moved to that after we went to full canon coverage where our inner classes, they read the entire canon in those seven courses. And then they study it that way. We did that first, got the Bible in the right place in our halls before we took it out of our name. So um, anyway, I think that tombstone's kind of funny. Any other? Okay, Tim. All right, I'm minus 15, so this will be fast. Uh, class of 79, uh, when you get your lunch, um, get your tray, your food and all that, and then head up to the loft so you can eat and visit at the same time. It gives you a little bit more time to do what you need to do. Uh, fresh off the press, uh, we were doing edits on this yesterday. Uh, this is a year in review. We have so many friends that empower us to do business. And uh, so this is just a brief snapshot of last year. Uh, we, we've come through a wonderful year. Some super stuff in here. You can each grab a copy. In fact, I'll ask Kendi and Mark to dish out this stuff. I want to camp on one thing. You can read, so you, I won't uh, bug you with that. But when it comes to the education fund, we, we did a little analysis and discovered that through scholarships and bursaries, and this in part answers your question, Beth, that the actual tuition reduction on average is reduced 32% for the average student. Now, when you get to be an upperclassman, if you're a student leader and whatnot, it actually hovers around 50%. So the sticker price and the real price you pay is different uh, depending on scholarships and bursaries. And we fund that through our endowment fund, revolving scholarships, donations to the, the fund. We don't offer discounts because we still have to... to pay the bills for turning the lights on. Uh, so each of these are funded scholarships. And then the other thing just below it, facilities impact, we've been able to make significant headway this year, both in our plant. You'll notice, of course, Inbox is down, but we've other, done other major projects. And I'm guessing over the last five years, we've probably done between two and three million dollars worth of campus upgrades, most of which you don't see. However, you're sitting in one of them, and this one will knock you off your chair. This room cost us 300,000 bucks to fix. Um, Imbach cost us $300,000 to take down. The high school, which needs to come down, it's, it's but ugly, uh, will cost us half a million bucks. So, uh, and in typical, typical Prairie fashion, we don't go into long-term debt. We want the cash in the bank because we want to tell you your bucks don't go to the bank in interest payments, they go to ministry. So, uh, you can help us that way. And then if you took a breeze out to the airport yesterday, um, we were so blessed by God, our Father, who gave us friends who supported us generously and we were able to pour... Uh, almost half a million dollars into our uh, fleet. Um, brand spanking new aircraft. In fact, industry people, when they looked at the most recent 172 upgrade, they said, did this come straight from the factory? It's a 40-year-old aircraft. Uh, so our students now are flying state-of-the-art equipment. Couldn't be better. All right, here's how you can help. 
did you pass these out too? Oh, Kenny has these. All right, the Ellie Maxwell Award. So you guys get the privilege of giving this away to somebody you think could benefit by one of Prairie's programs. You just give it to them. If they show up as a student, we will uh, deduct a thousand bucks off of their tuition. Again, it's not a discount. We have friends that fund this stuff. So you just get to be the happy delivery person. So please, take one of these, two, three, four, ten of these puppies, give them to your, your youth pastor, better yet, give them to a prospective student. All right, I know you want your coffee, so do I. Um, last thing, pr prison, wow. Um, God is doing amazing things. Uh, our enrollment is growing there. Now that's a good sign and a bad sign. Uh, we're up at 45 students in three institutions, five cohorts. Every time we add a student, that adds uh, cost. Normally when you get students, they bring in revenue. The, the converse is true in this case. So uh, we treasure support for our prison ministry, and I'm, I, I'll end with this. It's not confirmed just yet, but Gord, our program coordinator, told me that Canada's, there's strong evidence that Canada's very first incarcerated chaplain, did you hear that? Convict turned chaplain is in our classroom in one of our institutions, Canada's very first. This is a very, very significant ministry. All right, I'm done. Hope this has been meaningful and thank you so much for taking the time to come.